the implementation of behavior change and lifestyle modification is very difficult. Um, it's just hard for people to overcome their own inertia, right? If you're caught up in a bad lifestyle, whatever that lifestyle is, it's hard for you to change that, right? And you guys are young, so it's, it's maybe easier and more amenable, but as you get up in age, you get set in your ways and most people do not want to change. And so it's, it's a very, it's a very difficult thing to do. And I have that conversation with my patients. Like I give them the spiel, you know, like I tell them, Hey dude, you got to do this. I, my, my bar is not CrossFit. Okay. <laughs> my bar is not like the keto diet. My bar is, Hey dude, walk 20 to 30 minutes a day for me five times a week. That's all right? So my bar is not so high because if you set the bar too high, they're never going to achieve it, right? It's about slow incremental change. And I think that's the best way to implement a lot of behavioral modification. It's not like, it's not the, it's not the sprint, it's the marathon, right? It's about doing the subtle things sustain and sustaining it and not doing dramatic things and not having it last. You are now listening to the Next Iteration Podcast with your hosts, Fuad and Damien. If you liked the episode, follow us on Spotify and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Our website was built by Face Solutions, logo designed by Charmeni, and music by Wonderly Music. We hope you enjoy the episode. So hello, welcome back to the Next Iteration Podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Kasim Bhatt. Dr. Bhatt is a highly specialized physician who's particularly interested in med tech and the health startup space. He's had a long career in clinical nephrology and interventional nephrology, and recently completed MIT's Artificial Intelligence and Healthcare Program. He's also advised a few startups, so we're excited to chat today about his background, some of the work he does, what it's like approaching health tech from the clinical side of things, and I know he also does a lot of work in science communication, so we're excited to pick his brains on that. So yeah, welcome back to the, or welcome to the podcast, Dr. Butt, and uh, excited to have a dope conversation today. Awesome, man. Yeah, glad to be here, guys. And it's Kasim, by the way, um, so you can call me Kasim, it's totally cool, so. Awesome. Love that. Yeah. So Kasim, I wanted to kind of open this conversation up with, uh, I guess, a bit of an easy question, just something to get you warmed up a bit. So what is the most important or perhaps applicable thing that you've learned throughout your med school or your practice? What is the most, uh, I'm sorry, what is the most important thing? Important or applicable things that maybe for the general public, things that you picked up along your journey that they may be not necessarily aware of, but would be incredibly applicable to their own lives. Oh, I would say the, 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 well, and I think uh, I would say in general, um, behavior, right? Like, so actually being able to implement behavior change and that's true from like the technology side, but also, um, personal side, but also on the health side, right? So you, we can talk about med tech and pharmaceuticals, biotech, whatever, but the biggest problem we have in the U S and around the world and Western countries in particular is behavior problems, right? Um, so we're talking about innovations to offset bad behavior lifestyle changes. So I think that's the biggest thing. Behavior is uh, the biggest thing that most people don't understand that's applicable in all industry. Right. So. No, I was going to say, how do you like reason through behavior change? Like what about behavior change have you learned? Like works, doesn't work. It, it, it's very difficult, extremely difficult. So, uh, you know, we talk about education a lot and I'm, I'm big on education on, on um, I'm on the board of uh, kind of health, which is about kidney disease education. And I've done a lot of public speaking about to the general public on kidney disease education and things like that as well, too. But I think like the implementation of behavior change and lifestyle modification is very difficult. Um, it's just hard for people to overcome their own inertia, right? If you're caught up in a bad lifestyle, whatever that lifestyle is, 
it's hard for you to change that, right? And you guys are young, so it's it's maybe easier and more amenable. But as you get up in age, you get set in your ways, and most people do not want to change. And so mm-hmm. it's it's a very it's a very difficult thing to do. And I have that conversation with my patients. Like I give them the spiel, you know, like I tell them, "Hey, dude, you got to do this." I, I, my my bar is not CrossFit, okay? <laughs> my bar is not like the keto diet. My bar is, "Hey, dude, walk twenty to thirty minutes a day for me five times a week." That's all right? Hey, dude, stop drinking sodas for me for three months and then come back to me. So my bar is not so high because if you set the bar too high, they're never going to achieve it, right? It's about slow incremental change. And I think that's the best way to implement a lot of behavioral modification. It's not like, it's not the, it's not the sprint, it's the marathon, right? It's about doing subtle, subtle, subtle things sustain and sustaining it and not doing dramatic things and not having it last. So it's hard to uh, instill behavior modification. And that's where I always wonder, I just had a conversation earlier today from someone from Dell Medical School in Austin. And, uh, you know, she's actually trying to implement some behavior change as well, too. And I was like, it's the hardest thing possible. It is literally impossible. But Mm -hmm. like, um, you know, because the person has to be wanting to do it themselves, right? It's Mm -hmm. not like you can just make them. Although, you know, you working for Twitter, like, you know, it's interesting, like these social media algorithms they can make you hate your neighbor right <laughs> they don't have the same political beliefs right or oh, whatever yeah. but like you wonder if that same technology can give that dopamine hit to you for you to you know actually do something positive you know or mm-hmm. implement that change but that's that's what i would say uh, that's kind of like the cross uh, crosses all barriers like is behavior for sure mm-hmm. so focusing on those atomic habits like how yeah. how much do you have to kind of engage in the act of no- negotiation with your patients because like hearing something like that's like oh, all I had to do is go for a walk and then my problems will be alleviated yeah it's yeah like something where people might look at that they might look at it as this thing that's just kind of inconsequential so do you have to really drive that value prop behind it or and how do you yeah yeah so like the way I look at it like so I've read like several books on psych- psych- psychology, but also uh, persuasion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think persuasion is key. Like we're all selling something at some point, right? And so even as a doctor, you have your spiel. Like, you know, I repeat the same sentences over again to different patients, especially when I meet them anew. So like um, you have to have good persuasion techniques. You have to be able to read the person, right? So like I treat all people, patients, some, not necessarily equally. I treat them with equal respect but I know who I'm talking to at different times, right? So I'm not going to talk to the 70-year-old grand, uh, Hispanic grandmother the same I'm going to talk to that 20-year-old college kid, right? It's not the same logic, right? So so um, you have to learn um, that you adjust your your tone and your um, and your style, really, to, mm-hmm. the, to the audience. And so, you know, like you guys, like if you came to my office, I would be like, hey, you know, I would talk more, you know, colloquial kind of way and maybe even drop a cuss word here and there, you know, just to make, to instill it in your head that, hey, this is important because young kids like yourselves don't care about your health as much, right? Um, Whereas older grandma, I'm going to be like, hey, you know, you know, I I want you to live longer. I want you to enjoy time with your grandparents, grandchildren, different, you have to come at it at a different angle, right? Um, and you know, a lot of other techniques, uh, whether it be, you know, shaking their hands, um, giving them hugs, um, just various techniques to actually instill that kind of behavioral change. I am a big fan of apps too. I put the, like, um, for instance, like I, I literally tell my patients, so like, I want my patients to monitor their blood pressure at home. 
Um, there's a particular blood pressure monitor out there. I'm not going to say which one it is, but I've researched it. I said, hey, this is pretty good. It's a pretty decent price point. I want you to take your own blood pressure at home and put that on your on yourself and install the app on the phone for them if I need to. You see what I'm saying? And give them that. And then they go to the store and they pay the 50, 60 bucks for the for the blood pressure monitor, right? So um, it's, it, it's, it's all about, um, sorry. No, no it isn't. Uh, yeah, sorry. It's I think it's just adjusting for your audience and learning proper persuasion techniques, and mm -hmm. that's how you go. So, and yeah. that's true for startups too. I mean, honestly, I've read that you know even with venture capitalists, the most persuasive CEOs are the ones that raise capital, right? And so, you know, um, it's the same same technique, not same technique, but you know, same same idea. Mm -hmm. Dave and I were laughing because we're both like notoriously bad at keeping our health in mind. I don't know, like. Got like two hours of sleep last night. We're yelling, like yeah. Because you guys are invincible at your age, dude. Exactly. You're completely <laughs> I don't know about invincible. You you but... Yeah, you can eat whatever the hell you want. You can gain five pounds and then you know go running and lose it in in two three days. Whereas at my in my forties, like I that's like a, a month long excursion for me to lose that. You're in your forties? No, yeah, way. yeah. Dude, yeah. you look like you're 25. No well, way. thank you, sir. You kiss the ass of all the people on your podcast or something. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I'm not. I'm not kissing ass right now. You actually look like you're like 25. That's well, insane. I had no idea. Thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, what's the secret? Always... What's the secret? Uh, I don't know. Be as immature as possible for as long as you can. I guess. Right. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> you know, this, what, this is what Michael said, like, right? Huh? Now, one of our previous guests, he mentioned that the way he's able to live his life and like have fun this whole time is he's kept his inner child alive this whole time. Oh, absolutely. And that inner child's yeah. a 13 year old in him. So I guess you you're uh, kind of taking that prescription yourself. Yeah. So in many respects, I find like, you know, when people tell you to grow up, right, they always say, hey, grow up, grow up. I'm like, most of them are just telling you, hey, get old, fat and boring because that's what they are. Right. And so like, I think like in many respects, you got to like continue just being that kid. Like I still listen to like, old school hip-hop right 90s 2000s whatever and i love it and it's completely inappropriate right like especially now like you and twitter would probably ban every word that these, oh, yeah. these guys would say. <laughs> like, who's like, your favorite 90s artist yeah um so you know it's just it's just weird um but i would just say always stay lively always stay creative always try to improve yourself you know what one of the weirdest things guys like the one of the i would say one of the biggest life changers for me was actually starting to exercise every morning like i started that about 10 11 years ago and every morning I wake up five, five 30 and I go exercise and do that for 30 minutes, 45 minutes a day. And that really instilled discipline in me, but also just, uh, consciously, consciously care about your health, but also just, it just, I don't know what it was, but it was just, uh, it just uh, leapfrogged me forward and it just changed the way I did. And I lost a bunch of weight. I lost, you, you guys are young, right. But you, in your thirties, you start gaining weight and I had gained like 30 pounds. And then all of a sudden I started losing weight and all of a sudden you start looking good. You start feeling good. So all these things kind of cascaded from that. So I, I, I'm a big believer in exercise as a motivational factor, even something as simple as like depression or, you know, you know, a lot of mental health issues, dude, like it, it kicks up serotonin and, you know, it improves your psychology so much. So I'm a big fan of exercise and I would prescribe that for anybody at any age, really. So. And the big thing is just keeping your stress low, right? Like stress is probably the biggest killer, especially for like people are like, um, young adults our age like myself and Fouad I know that's something that a lot of us have been dealing a lot with recently and you know the mental health issues stem from that so I'm just yeah. wondering if we're going to be seeing more health issues as an outcome of that because it feels like I don't know if it's just because there's more of a spotlight on like the mental health space right now um, relative yeah. to the past but yeah. it feels like there's a lot of that going around well there's an interesting book so like there's a huge generational gap between say 
Gen, I'm Gen X, right? So, and even Gen Z and even early millennials. I said millennials are really kind of too broad sometimes because the people that are closer to my age are Gen Z, millennials and act like us. There's a book out there, if, if you guys are interested, it's called The Coddling of the American Mind. I've recommended that book to so many people. And it talks about the generational differences between generations and what's happened. And, you know, um, certain certain aspects of parenting have changed. And quite honestly, it may not be applicable as much to South Asian kids, like, because, you know, we, we get the we get the crap kicked out of us no matter what age, right? Yeah, but, yeah. you know, the, the other kids, you know, like, um, you know, they, they were coddled more, right? Participation trophies. You don't have an expectation of success as much. Everyone's special. And those kind of things kind of hurt the psyche in the long run. You know, you, your psyche needs to be challenged overall. Um, and so, yeah, I, you do see this outbreak, especially in the younger generations of mental health issues um, um, because of that. And quite honestly, even COVID, like I think COVID for the last two years is psychologically messed with all of us, right? It's kind of mm -hmm. the cause of like a baseline depression. And so, um, you know, that, that, that component always also plays in as well too. I mean, your parents must be okay because you ended up a doctor. So yeah, uh, yeah, but we, we're all supposed to be doctors, don't you? Yeah, know we're also. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I failed. I absolutely failed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I had this conversation with this uh, late girl. She was uh, from uh, she was from San Francisco, actually. She's Japanese, and she talked about how she was pre-med. And I told her, uh, I was like, I was like, I was like, you know, you could pretty much walk up to any Asian person, brown or yellow, and go, hey, how long were you pre-med? And you can start a conversation, <laughs> right? Like, like you can totally start a conversation, right? Oh, that's yeah. super true. How, yeah. So. Go, like going back, I guess, on this note, when did you decide to be a doctor or maybe it wasn't your decision, but uh, yeah, yeah. Well, to why, be honest, why did you end up going I'm, to the field of healthcare? Yeah. So like, honestly, like, you know, like I'm the oldest male of a South Asian family, a Pakistani family, and you know, like I'm expected to be right. So that's why I went to med school. Um, it wasn't like I was forced, but it's like, that's your expectation. Right. And so, mm -hmm. um, and I went to med school and I did everything. I went to, got internal medicine residency. And then what was interesting was, like I'm a, I'm a nephrologist, I'm a kidney doctor, but I don't have this, I didn't have this passion for kidney disease like back then, right? But what was interesting in the 2000s when you were doing residencies, um, back, back then everything, the, what everyone was doing was they wanted wanted you to specialize, right? So you you didn't just do internal medicine, you did cardiology or you did pulmon, pulmonology or you did nephrology or endocrinology, you specialized because that, that was the thing. So I chose nephrology, I generally liked it. Um, I went with it there. Um, I'm actually an interventional nephrologist as well. So I actually do procedures as well. So like most nephrologists don't do procedures. And um, those are, it, it's, a, it's a different level of satisfaction, honestly, to work with your hands. I've realized that that really kind of saved me in my profession for longer because I generally like working with my hands and I, I do ballooning of um, veins and arteries and stuff like that and stents and stuff like that. So that's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, so that's how I, I, I really got into it. And I've been at it for like 11 years now. So I've been in private practice for 11 years now at this point. Do you have any advice for med students that are struggling with that choice to decide on what specialty to pursue? Cause it can feel like a big, it is so hard, dude. Right? Like, cause it's always retrospective. Cause you mm. know, I feel like at all you're always growing, right? Like, so my, the person I am from, I'm not the same person I was five years ago or 10 years ago or the way I was in med school. So it's hard to tell like a young kid in their 25, 26, hey, you should pick this, right? Mm -hmm. So what I would Hindsight say is, you is gotta, 20. huh? Hindsight is always 2020, 20, right? It so. is. Yeah, dude. Like, but even then, like, then, then I'm like, I, do I regret what I did? Not necessarily because I'm generally happy with the person I've become, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, do you start second guessing your decisions? Like, oh, I should have done anesthesia. Anesthesia, I would have made so much more money, right? Or would have had so much more time or whatever it is, right? 
I don't know. I'm generally happy with the person I am. I had to work hard, but at the same time, it's, it's good. But what I would say is um, several factors. I think if you're in med school, what are you deciding to do? One is, you know, you have to decide how much money you want to make. And I'm not saying it's like, um, it's that, that important because it's not, but you know, you, you put in all this work, you may have gotten a lot of loans, you know, you want to make sure that you want to live and you want, what kind of lifestyle do you want? Right. <laughs> you know, like, do you want to live like a very nice, nice lifestyle? So that depends because different fields don't pay as much. Right. So that's a factor. Um, also how much time do you want? You may, you may make more money, but you may have to spend more time away from family. So that's the thing you have to take into account. How much family time do you want? You know, um, those kind of things as well, too. So there's all these factors. Oh, do you like working with your hands or not? Do you think working with your hands is good? Do you want a long-term relationship with the patient or do you want a short-term relationship? Do you want to hit it and quit it or you want to stay with them a long time, right? Like, you know, like, yeah. you, want to, you know, like ER, like ER doctors, right? They, glam they glamorize ER doctors so much. It's so annoying, but it's like they hit it and quit it, right? They see a patient for a little bit and they keep them there a few hours and goodbye. Their mind is clear. Whereas me, I see a patient, I may still be thinking about them 10 o'clock at night, or I may have to have a relationship with them for the next six, seven, 10 months or forever forever in that life so it's a different a different thing so there's a lot of things it's it's hard to know what you want but it's hard you know hard to tell someone what they want but you know they have to look inwards and say hey these are the things you need to talk to and also like if you're in med school and i would say even you guys in like, like a med tech space always feel free to like talk to doctors I, I think most doctors are pretty cool you know like as far as especially if you're a med school kid and you just want advice you know, if you see a doctor and, and you know, um, uh, go up to him or say, hey, email him or I actually love LinkedIn, message him on LinkedIn or something and say, hey, I would just I'm a med student. I, I just want some advice. What, what what would you advise in this scenario? Or I like your field. What do you think? What do you think about it? Also, I would say as a med student, no current market trends and where it's going. Right. Like, so mm -hmm. you're not always like, so let's just say some doctors are banking right now or have a certain current lifestyle right now. It doesn't mean the market is to sustain that. Right. So in five to 10 years, they, um, you know, that, that industry may be, uh, not as lucrative or not the same as what you thought it would be. Right. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And especially because the timelines are so long with med school and like, yeah, and yeah. That. It's like, by the time you, you finished, it's like 10 years in the future and like the market could have completely changed, but yeah, actually I had a follow up. 20s. Yeah. You lose yeah. your twenties essentially. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm in tech. So like, yeah, it's completely different. I feel like I'll lose my 30s, but I, I got my 20s, so we're good. Um, I had a follow-up about like what you're talking about with the patient relationship. I think that, you know, you're coming from like a clinical perspective into the health tech world, and we'll get into like your thoughts on health tech as well. But what do you think tech is missing about like the patient relationship? Because I feel like as a software engineer, and I have a lot of friends who are software engineers too, we're not exactly the most sympathetic people, right? Not exactly the most charismatic people. We don't necessarily have to deal with issues like patient relationships and, and that sort of whole class of like empathetic problems in our day to day. We're very analytical, very like, you know, left brain, right? So what lessons can tech apply to healthcare from like that patient relationship side of things? Yeah, so that, that was one of the biggest things I've noticed. I did some consulting like phone calls for a while, but I've noticed is industry, irrespective of it's biotech, med tech, whatever, they don't understand the point of care. They don't understand like when you're touching a patient, what's going on, right? So they have all these presumptions about what we do. Um, and so I think that there, there's that miscommunication there as far as that, but you know, like, so when you come into it from a, a med tech device, right. Or like a bio, uh, let's just say med tech, right. So if you're coming into it as a med tech device, um, you know, like, is this, 
you know, will, will, will a doctor, will, will a doctor see a value in it? Will the patient actually use it? <laughs> you know, that's a big deal. You know, like, uh, you know, you can have a device that's all cool and does all these things, but is the patient really going to wear it 24 seven, you know, uh, mm-hmm. or not. Right. Um, you know, um, is there reimbursement for it? You know, that's the biggest thing people don't acknowledge is that, you know, people will only do what they get paid for. Right. Um, just because your device does something doesn't mean, um, he does something really cool. Even it does a lot, does it cool. If the doctor or the, the hospital system or whatever doesn't get reimbursed for it, they may not utilize it. Um, but where the way I see healthcare going in general right now is, is, um, I don't know if you guys have heard of value-based medicine, but value-based medicine is kind of hot right now, especially in kidney care. Um, but where I see it is I, I see a lot of the innovation now a lot of the, I don't, I see, I see some of it now, but I, the main, main place I see where you need innovation is in the, is in the delivery of healthcare um, and in like clinical care, care coordination. And lastly, sit cost savings, right? Those three things are huge now. Like, meaning can I like, you know, before I couldn't get to the patient to come to my office, but now because of, you know, platforms like this, I can virtually see them at home, right? So I improve the delivery of care. And that's applicable to like remote patient monitoring as well, too, where I can monitor like blood pressures at home, oxygen levels, oxygen levels at home, whatever, and, and monitor the patient from home. Um, so I think a lot of that is is key. So improving the delivery of healthcare, care coordination, you know, better EMRs, meaning like, you know, if you guys actually saw the EMR I looked at this morning, you would laugh. Like it's something out of the 1990s. And I'm not joking, like not, 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 not post Windows 95, 1990s, like (laughs) pre Windows 95, like DOS, like DOS based kind of not. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's how archaic our, our information is, right? Or our, our EMRs are. So, and that's in a major hospital system, not in a, like a cheap ghetto hospital in the bad part of town. It was in a major hospital system. And so um, there's a lot of that, that there. And also I would say, if you guys are coming with a device or biotech or whatever it is, um, cost savings is huge in the States now. Value-based medicine is supposed to address that, right? So the current model in medicine is generally what they call fee for service, right? I, I, pay, I do more, I get paid more right? I don't have to necessarily do better or improve care. I just have to do more, meaning I could see the patient more in the office. I can see the patient in the hospital. I can do more procedures on the patient, but does not necessarily mean I get more. I think now they're going to what they call value-based. So value-based means what they get a capitated payment, meaning a set certain payment and your payments adjusted depending on your results. So if you're getting good results for your patients and you're saving, saving costs, um, that's where you can make more money. So I would say if you're coming up with a device or uh, or pharmaceutical, that's where you want to kind of market it at. And it's nice seeing, um, like there's been more of an emergence of like human factor study designs coming out of that too. Right. So I think we're seeing more people understanding the value of getting into the shoes of your end user to seeing like how their workflow would look like, like considering user personas and all of that. Um, it's something, honestly, I wasn't yeah. even exposed to until like during my program, but after seeing how rigorously, how many considerations ha- those studies have, I can't imagine how yeah. these tools were built before that within within their own silos, right? Like it's all about considering can we do this rather uh, rather than should we do it, uh, and and uh, considerations such as that. But do you see, yeah. or do you have a comment there on that? Oh no, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Like again, like you know, like even like something as simple as these virtual meetings, right? Like on a mm-hmm. Zoom, your grandma doesn't know how to work Zoom, right? She doesn't know how to work FaceTime. 
And so it's like, it makes sense. Everything makes sense. But, and, and, and the iPhone is intuitive to you and our age groups. Right. But to your grandma, it's not intuitive. So she may miss the call. Really? So that's, that's what you have to do is take the end user in mind. Of course, that may, you know, we may graduate out of that because the older population will pass at some point and then I'll become the older generation, I guess. And I'll hopefully maintain some tech savviness at some point, but, um, and any, and the usability of these products will go even better. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but absolutely at the end user, um, the real life, just because you think it'll get a result doesn't mean it will, because the user doesn't know how to use it or doesn't won't use yeah. it. Right. So do yeah. you anticipate seeing a larger exodus of physicians towards that med med tech space in the future, um, be it by necessity, or even just considering how intensive being a, like time intensive being a physician is right. Like constantly being on. Yeah. So- so I don't know if you saw, it's like the first time we're talking, but I'm actually leaving medicine. So I'm actually um, two days away. Yeah. I put my, uh, so with me, I got involved in med tech about a year and a half ago through, because of my social media presence, especially on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. I started getting mm-hmm. advisory roles and about six months ago in, uh, in May, I went to LSI life science intelligence in um, it's a conference in uh, med tech conference in Orange County in California. Cool. And I just, I was essentially around like just dope people talking about dope shit that. the whole time. Yeah. Right. And just, thinking differently and people like yourselves, you know, but older or whatever, but they, they just were just thinking and different. I was like, man, this is so cool. And then I literally got back and I was like, had it with something happened with my boss and I was like, I'm done. And so I had to put my, I had a six month notice, which is ridiculous by the way, but I had a six month notice. Six month notice. Yeah. Yeah. I normally physicians have like a three, but like I had a six in my contract, which is ridiculous. But anyway, so um, I'm just about two days done for medicine. I'm actually pursuing medical technology, health technology, med, uh, digital, uh, you know, digital, uh, oh my God. <laughs> uh, digital stuff as well too. So any like I'm I'm actually pursuing careers, and I I think it there is. I definitely think it is. It's just hard to make that career change late in life, right? So mm-hmm. it depends. I I think maybe the young kids coming out of like. Um, you know, med school or even this residency or fellowship or whatever, um, they, 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 they can pursue it. But as you get older in life, it's harder to make that change, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just different, different. You have a different risk, risk threshold at that point. So, so what sorts I, of roles are you looking for? Like, where do you see yourself slotting in the best? I, you do a lot of advisory roles, I guess, but yeah, yeah. So advisory roles pay a monopoly money, right? With equity. So like, you know, they, they only mean something if they go somewhere. Right. But it is yeah. a learning experience you gain for sure. I love, I love the learning experience I gained from them. Um, but yeah, like I'm pursuing roles like chief medical officer, medical director, those kind of roles. Um, and also just, um, quite honestly, like even in the value-based medicine space, like there, that's where I, I personally think the most innovation can happen because, um, what they're doing is essentially, uh, they're delivering healthcare better in the sense that they're having clinical care teams manage patients. So this old, the old adage of you being my patient, me giving you medication, two medications, three medications, four medications, and you taking them and you coming to my office every three months and I'm getting good results. That's nonsense, right? There's so many other mm-hmm. factors in there, right? So can you make it to my appointment? Can you afford the medications? Did you understand the instructions? Are you going to take the medications? You know, the, all these psychosocial issues that go along with it. And that's what these team, these uh, value-based medicine companies are doing. And again, they help, they, um, they come in and manage patients, help you manage patients with the clinical care team with social workers, dietitians, nurse practitioners, virtual health, all this kind of stuff, education platforms, and they kind of uh, help with that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I see myself in that kind of company and that's what I'm actively kind of pursuing, although I'm open to other roles as well too, so. Okay, I wanna kind of tie this portion of the conversation into, into the, the idea of knowledge translation. 
Um, Cause like if, mm-hmm. if you've been in the healthcare space, you've probably heard the number, I think it was 17 years, um, which is often touted as the gap between um, knowledge and practice. So with that, I, Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's, it's like, <laughs> yeah, throughout my, my term, like I constantly hear that number all the time. So I don't know if that number is still 17 years. I don't think there have been any subsequent studies done to kind of validate that. But mm. considering that and the advent of technology and its increasing presence within um, clinical spaces, should there be greater awareness for physicians surrounding the med tech space? Because it's like, usually you only really hear about you, it. You said 17 years from what? From what exactly? From knowledge from the technology. So like you, the research is done, like the evidence is kind of up, the evidence base is updated, but in terms of changing practice, yeah. that doesn't happen for like years to come. Um, so there's yeah. an inertia there, but yeah, like these physicians, they usually only hear about these new products when like a, a sales rep comes knocking at their door, right? Yeah, yeah. So most of my change is through sales reps, right? And and lunches, and in the past it used to be pens, yeah. <laughs> you know, all this kind of stuff. But like, and quite honestly, I'm not against it because you know I don't have the time to research everything new. So these sales reps actually do educate, and they do um, you know uh, help you out. But yeah, I, I I see that gap with that 17 year gap that you just talked about closing rapidly. Like I I see it at a certain point because at this point, like you know we've um, you know it it. it, it now, since everything's moving more rapidly and you have things like AI, ML, and all this other stuff, that's going to simplify and kind of streamline everything um, to where a lot of the decisions and, you know, maybe apprehensions that a physician have may not be as needed, right? Now, you're still going to need evidence-based medicine, right? Those protocols or medications or whatever, you're still going to have evidence-based, but the implementation after evidence-based may take a while. I'll give you an example, even in my practice, um, like in general, like there's a drug a drug class called SGL2 inhibitors that are diabetic medications, but have been shown to um, decrease the progression of kidney disease, slow it down. Meaning the kidney disease doesn't go like this; it kind of slows down and sustains. Right? It's been out for a few years, but I've only recently started prescribing it to my patients. Right? And it's that apprehension you have because you get caught in your day to day. And you've learned that, and you know, a lot of times most people stop learning and this is true in regular life, the last day they step out of school. Mm -hmm. Right. And so (laughs) like, that's when they really stop. So like a lot of times, like the way I'm practicing is the way I was trained in Mm -hmm. fellowship. Now, have I evolved? Yes. Over the last 11 years for sure. But you know, in my back of my head, I'm still doing the old same old stuff. So it does take a, take a while to get out of that, but I definitely see that gap kind of closing Mm -hmm. over time. Right. And so, um, that's, that's, I definitely see that happening. Um, uh, on that note, actually, a question about medtech. Like, you, you keep your ear to the ground with a lot of these recent developments. What's like the trend or the newest like tech that you're super super excited about within health tech? Ah, uh, health tech. So again, I again, the delivery is what I think is the coolest. But you see a lot of the um, uh, newer machines and dialysis coming out. I don't know if you guys know how dialysis works, but it's essentially most of it's in center dialysis. You go to a dialysis center three times a week. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, mm-hmm. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, it's four hours each time. So what you've seen is the development of newer, cooler machines. So the machines are just 10, 15 years old um, and they're cumbersome and blah, blah, blah. And quite honestly, ugly, like ugly. And even the ones that are home, meant for home, they haven't been as user-friendly. Recently, there's been a company called Outset Medical and I, they actually invited me to their, their, home, their home base in San Jose. And I got to see their device and they're actually delivering them in San Antonio now too. But it's a oh. device that literally has an iPad-like device on top of a dialysis machine. The UI is so easy. And it's just like, it's like using an iPad, like an iPad, right? 
and uh, the steps they 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 took into they they did the best thing of tech and applied it to friggin' um, medicine, right? So, for instance, the old machines that took like thirty or forty steps to set up the machine at home. This one takes ten steps, right? So, something as simple as that will help with what they call patient compliance, meaning doing it more often and and not having patient burnout or whatever it is. So that device, but also there's other ones coming in the market, Quanta Quanta um, Quanta dialysis machine. Those those are kind of cool. And what I see over time is everyone wants to know when the artificial kidney is coming out, right? The artificial kidney, what you're going to see is you're going to see these machines evolve. You know, it's like, it's not like it's going to be like the machines now and then artificial kidney in 10 years, you're going to see like these machines evolve and there'll be miniaturization. And then there'll be like wearable dialysis machines or wearable kidneys. And then there'll be like implantable, right? So you're going to see this progression over time. That's kind of super cool. Right. Um, although I, again, I still see the best way to improve kidney care is to actually treat the kidney disease better as opposed to the end stage, right? Dialysis is the end stage when your kidneys aren't even working anymore. I don't want an artificial kidney. I want, I want, you know, I want you guys to make my kidneys work longer, right. And keep me off dialysis or keep me away from artificial kidney. So, so has, uh, everything you've learned about kidneys to date changed the way that you live life at all? Uh, yeah. So, you know, like everyone asked me like, Hey, Hey, how can I protect my kidneys? And they're drinking like a shitload of cran- cranberry <laughs> juice and stuff. And I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, cranberry juice has like 35 to 40 grams of sugar in it. Stop. Like, <laughs> you know, like this is stupid, but whatever. Um, uh, you know, like I, I, like the kidneys, the main thing is with the kidneys. So 65, 70% of kidney disease in the United States is due to diabetes and high blood pressure. Right. And so, um, because of that, because it's 65, 70%, that means it's mostly lifestyle related issues. Right. And so the kidneys are the canary in the coal mine. They're reflective of the body they're in. So if you take care of your body as a whole, you should be able to take care of your kidneys. And that translates to, I mean, quite honestly, like even your, your heart health and everything else, but also your brain health as well too. You know, like if you're, if your arteries and your heart are clogging up, what do you think are happening to the circulation of your brain? Right. So that's prevent dementia, but also just in general, like, again, like we talked about exercise and eating, right. Like it prevents mental faculties later on, right. Like I want to live to 70, 80, 90. I really generally do, but I want to be healthy at that age. Right. And I want to be like lucid and I want to be taught having cool conversations with you guys when you're in your seventies or whatever. Right. So like, I, uh, so I think by, by that means that what I've learned from the kidneys as a whole is you got to take care of your whole body in order to affect your organs or, you know, so that's how I think of it. It's, it's just so pervasive how like these days, everyone is suffering from these diseases of abundance. And it's like, we don't know what the hell to do with all of the sugar and the eat. Yeah. yeah, there's a book called The Comfort Crisis. I don't know if you heard of it, oh, The Comfort Crisis, but it talks about this. Like essentially we're just overwhelmed with uh, too much, uh, too much blue light, mm-hmm. too much time and too much, uh, 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 oh my God, high fructose corn syrup, oh, right? <laughs> so like, like, it's like, it's true. And it, it just talked about, even like he talked about something as simple as like, we've killed boredom. Yeah. Right. Like in the, in a, you know, like literally oh, yeah. you're not, Reduce you're needs. never you're never bored because if you're in line somewhere, you're going to look at your mm-hmm. phone. And honestly, he talked, he talked about how even being bored, the act of being bored is a good thing. It teaches you patience and it teaches you, and actually creativity is sparked in state, states of boredom, right? So if you're staring at the window on a bus or in your car, uh, when not when you're in a passenger, you can actually think of cool things and new, new ideas. But if you're constantly stimulated with a, with a phone, you're never going to have that, that rest yeah. that you need. Right. Do you, yeah. I don't know if you uh, are familiar with this study, but there's this study conducted, I think like a couple of years ago where they essentially yeah. had the participants sit in a waiting room 
and I guess like they weren't aware of like this portion of it or like what was actually entailed in the study, but they just, the, the, the researchers left them there for this insane amount of time. And there was this big red button sitting right next to them. So of course, mm. out of curiosity, eventually like the patients would, or the participants would go ahead and press it upon pressing it, it would actually deliver a painful electric shock to them. So in the end, people just kept pushing that button instead of suffering through that boredom. Like they would la- rather feel that physical pain of that shock wow. rather than that, that dull pain of boredom, which is, I think. And these are like, who were the, who were the people in the study? Was it, is it a recent study? I, I imagine. Oh, it's right? a couple of years like... ago. Like I remember learning about this in my undergrad. Um, so I'm, my yeah. memory's a little bit fuzzy on it, but yeah, like I just remember he- like yeah. hearing about it. I'm like, okay, well this speaks to our generation pretty well, I think. Well, yeah, I guess being constantly stimulated, exactly. right? Like it's, it's like you need, your brain needs to rest. And this is where I wonder where technology is coming in, the interface of technology and humanity, right? Like, um, and even like AI, like all these, you have these, like, you know, like you're talking about, like, you're talking about AI, you're talking about all the, the moral consequences of it and all this other stuff. Well, you're seeing some of the consequences of it when you are engaging in social media, right? You're, you're at, at the helm of an AI algorithm, right? Yeah. And it's messing with you and essentially putting you a giant feedback loop of yourself, which actually kind of sucks. You know what the weirdest thing is? So, you know, like I have YouTube music and I stream music and it knows what I want, but it plays to me the same fucking 20 <laughs> songs over and over again because it knows what I want. And so my daughters, it's hilarious. My daughters were seven, 10, and 11. They actually like the friggin' radio, like the radio. You see what I'm saying? Because they don't have to decide about the song and argue about the song with each other they don't mind the commercials and it's weird and you wonder if it's going to go retro in a weird way like you know and it's yeah 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 and loki already has so spotify has this feature now where you can do like song radio so you click a song and it'll start a radio station based on that song and it'll like be similar songs in different categories that you haven't listened to and you don't yeah. get to choose. You just go, like, right? So yeah, yeah. 100%. But like, she, like, Kasim's daughters are listening to like the, the actual radio, right? Like, yeah, like the actual physical radio, not like like Spotify crazy. or YouTube yeah, or Amazon. Yeah, yeah. So, but the problem is like a lot of that the the ones they they do that like it's like uh, it's weird. You you almost miss the diversity of just having regular radio, right? Like, and it, I know you may have not grown up. We may have grown up with some of it, but like it was cool to have a spontaneous song come on. It was like, Oh, I haven't heard that song in a while. You know, it, it's kind of weird, but, but yeah, I, I don't mean to like yeah, tie this conversation back into this because it is a tangent, but like speaking of that disease of abundance piece that we mentioned earlier and considering the rates of diabetes, I'm just wondering how, when considering the presence of Alzheimer's, cause like Alzheimer's is also dubbed like type three diabetes, right? So there is this link between mm-hmm. those two. If we're going to see, an increase in rates of Alzheimer's in the future as well. And it's, it's a scary thing, right? Cause like once you're diagnosed with Alzheimer's, it's already too late. Like you're already past the point of no return. Like your brain's already mushed at that point. Yeah. Well, I would put it past even Alzheimer's. So Alzheimer's is a specific disease process of the brain, but just regular dementia. Yes. And so like, what's interestingly enough, and especially here in San Antonio, I have large Hispanic populations that are chronically di- diabetic. And every time, you know, every once in a while they fall or have a headache or have like, we are confused and you do a CAT scan. And so many of them have like atrophy of the brain. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? Like to, and there's some natural process of that, but they, they have like severe atrophying of the brain, but yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Like um, the, the, the diabetes has like long-term consequences. And unfortunately I think what happens is disease of abundance, but also just the, the fact that we're getting used to like, you know, like a lot of people in my age here 
have diabetes, have blood pressure, heart, heart disease, the whole nine. And I'm like, what the hell happened to you? <laughs> right. And, and, and unfortunately it becomes like the norm here. So it's like, oh, you tell a 40 year old, they're diabetic. They're like, oh, my mom has diabetes. My dad, my brother has diabetes. It's not as a shock. Now you told me I had diabetes. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> you know, like I'll be scared. Right. But like, but these people, it's just, you know, chronic disease is normal to them. And um, yeah. So you, yeah. The, the rates of dementia and all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, you wonder what's going to happen unless of course, you know, you wonder what's the solution. Is it behavioral modification? Is it really all of us actually taking care of ourselves better? Is that a possibility? And by the way, we're South Asian. So our genes suck too. We're just as bad as like, you know, yeah, as far as yeah, yeah. South Asians are horrible. We're just as bad as like Hispanics in Texas or or, you know, in California, wherever, like our genes suck, like as far as, uh, you know, and all we do is eat roti and rice and crap and, you know, like, and, you know, and so, and then, um, but yeah. And so you, you eventually like, you're wondering what, what's, uh, what's going to happen. What's the, what's the solution here? Is it, is it lifestyle modification or is it pharma coming up with a new drug that inhibits you from wanting to eat more or, or improves your insulin sensitivity or whatever, like you know, what's that. like, everyone's just looking for a quick fix. Like nobody wants to go through that. And that's the problem. I, I generally think that, like, I wonder if that's going to be it, like someone, an appetite suppressant mm-hmm. slash, you know, um, you know, whatever. I mean, there's a few know. of them already on the market. Yeah. 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 The there are. Market, and it's but... <laughs> weird. And it's weird for me to subscribe. I'm like, dude, just stop, you know, like, and, and it, I think most people, the behavior, modifying behavior is so difficult for these. So hard. It's yeah, so sure. freaking hard. It's not, it's like they, they can't do it. They're caught up in their own inertia. And then if you're, if you're surrounded by plenty at all times, whether it be Netflix, your phone and food, like what are you going to do? Right? Yeah. 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 And for even sure. my patients. I, but... Oh, I, so we only have nine minutes. So I want to like dive a little bit deep into that. Like what you mentioned, I think one of the things that like hundred percent solves that is like the science communication aspect. And you do a lot of that work. So I wanted to t- like talk a little bit about that. Science like, communication. What does that mean, man? I'm sorry. Man. Like <laughs> the educational videos you do, right? Oh like, yeah, 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 yeah. How okay. does that tie into like exposing people and like getting them to change their behavior modification? Like what got you into that? Yeah. I don't know, man. It's just like, um, you know, it's weird. I, I wasn't a social media person up until five years ago. I like, I didn't even have a Facebook, which is just freaking weird. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I think I had a LinkedIn, but I didn't really use it. Like, usually, but then somehow, you know, I got into this whole, um, you know, uh, imp- improving yourself kind of thing and self self-improvement and all that kind of stuff. And, and then, um, I don't know what it was that sparked me to want to do a video. I created a proper Facebook page and then I was like, let me do a video. And, um, just see how it goes. And I just went with it and, you know, you kind of evolve who you are. And honestly, my presence went from YouTube and Facebook, which wasn't as successful to more LinkedIn. And that's where I got the most reach. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it's weird. Like, you know, you guys probably seen doctor, doctor uh, content on like IG, Instagram or whatever. And I, f- I find like, I, I can't do that kind of content. I have to do substantive content, right? That means something that actually educates. I'm not pointing at a fucking word and pointing at, you know, for like and having it stand for like 0.5 seconds and, you know, you wear yoga pants or whatever, you know, like, you know, you know I'm not, I'm, that's not me. It's just not me. Um, do I think it gets reach and does it help people? I've been told some people, yeah, it does. I can't give a metric to it and has it worked. I like to, I have had a few patients like in my office, like where my spiels that I give do help, but quite honestly, it's probably one to 5% of my patient population where it does make a difference. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? I feel like education is only as good as the, it's, it's great to educate, but the person getting educated has to be receptive to the education, mm-hmm. right? And most people aren't, 
They're not, they, they rather have the pill. I'll be honest with you. They'd rather, they don't want to lose 20, 20 pounds and avoid having diabetes and high blood pressure. They rather have the pill that treats diabetes and high blood pressure. And so that's what I've realized the psychology is, right? It's the path of least resistance for everybody, the doctor and the patient. So yeah, it's not enough just putting the information out. You're going to make it engaging, got to inject it with a bit of storytelling so that people actually want to listen to it. Yeah. And you know, again, like the, the, the main thing is, do they actually implement it? You know, and it's weird, like in my, in the last five years, in the last five to 10 years, I, I like to implement change. I like to read mm-hmm. books and implement what that person says and says, Oh, that was really cool. But most people aren't that. And it's not because I'm special. I don't, I don't know what, what sparked it in me in the last five to 10 years. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, so I mean, it's, it's good. It's keeping your brain. Uh, positive, that note, right? Yeah. What's like one book or, you know, movie session, whatever it is that you recommend to someone that will like change how they approach their health change their health huh oh my god <laughs> that's a hard one um, it doesn't need to be overnight but just like a mindset shifter in terms of how they think about their health and the role of health in their life oh how they think about the role of health like i've read some health books i haven't read one recently i i, I read more about like the health books i read recently are like more about the healthcare innovation side right not necessarily like health itself there was one book i read oh my god what was it called Man, there was a, oh man, it was called the healthy brain or something like that. I gotta look it up, but it was a book on like yeah, just yeah. lifestyle, um, like essentially eating right, right? So, you know, I let, let me just sum it up what that book was kind of telling you. I think it was just like essentially, um, you know, um, I would say with everybody, increase more plant based, plant based foods in your diet for sure. Less meats. I don't say avoid meats because all of our cultures have meats to a degree, but you know, less meats, more plant based diet. Um, less uh, uh, refined sugars, refined carbohydrates. Um, and I would say um, uh, a lot of water, of course, too, and activity. Um, th- there's actually a book out there called The Blue Zones, which is really interesting as well, too. I don't know if you we heard of that. about it before on the podcast. Yeah, we huh? had a whole episode yeah. on it, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just love the whole notion. It's like we're trying to CrossFit our ways to mm-hmm. health. And it's like you don't have to do that. It's all about it's all about, uh, uh, you know, like essentially having a good family dynamic, a community dynamic, a good religious kind of spirituality to yourself. And then uh, what was the other things? Oh, plant-based diets. They talk about plant-based diets as well too, but also having purpose, right? Like I think in Okinawa, Japan, I think they said that one of the blue zones, uh, there's no word for retirement. So those fishermen are, are fishing until 90, 90, 95 or whatever, right? So um, I think those kind of things, those simple changes really affect your health and um, improve your life. You forgot the glass of wine. There was also a little bit of alcohol helps as well. Oh, was there a glass of wine thing in that one? Yeah. I, I didn't know about that. I'm yeah, Muslim, I think like- so it doesn't apply to me, dude. That's not halal. <laughs> <laughs> it's like something like 11 out of the 12 communities consume mm-hmm. like some alcohol and then the, the one that was outstanding was like mormon community or whatever yeah but, the uh, the adventists yeah. yeah super interesting the adventists yeah. not the mormons yeah, the oh okay yes yeah yeah but the plant-based diet was big the sense of community the sense of purpose uh, the resting and again like the people just hiked right like they, it wasn't like they actively did exercise like i do or any you know anybody does it's just they just partake in yeah, activity. Yeah, they set up their environment so they're forced to move around, right? Yeah. What's fascinating now, dude, like I'll be honest with you, like COVID has been a killer for a lot of people in the sense that the orders are to stay home. Mm. 
And these people are already staying home. Like, you know, these elderly patients, they weren't doing anything. And now you're telling them to stay home more and all they've done is gain weight, right? And so um, that's a that's a drawback to it, of course, you know, and, um, you know, these, a lot of times these, these patients, and that's what one thing I would say about virtual visits, we all think virtual visits are great, right? We just go, oh, we'd have to go to the doctor's office. Well, but sometimes these, the only time these pa- the elder patients are going anywhere is when they're going to the doctor's yeah. office, right? <laughs> and actually getting out of the house, you know? Yeah. So it's weird. Yeah. Um, I just have one more question on the science communication piece. And then we do have a traditional mm-hmm. final question that we ask all of our guests on the podcast. So I will let, throw that yeah. over to uh, Fouad to conclude with that. But one question I think is worth asking and worth for people to, to hear more about this is in being able to vet your information sources. So like mm-hmm. oftentimes it's science communication, right? Like a lot of times what these doctors do is they'll distill the information done in these studies and do it in a way it's very reductionist. Um, and so like you lose some of the, the, uh, the context and the nuance through that process, right? And there is an abundance mm-hmm. of information out there. There's so many people talking about, um, oh, you need to do this to improve your health. Don't do this so that you can uh, live longer, whatever. What is your process for vetting your information sources? So like, I, you know, when I do my videos, a lot of times I go straight to up to date. I don't know if you guys have heard of up to date, but it's all like our, it's essentially like our Google, like a, a, a Google or Wikipedia for us. And so essentially it's a subscription model, subscription piece. And essentially they vet all the information for you. And so it's based off of all the, the studies, the latest studies and everything. So they give you the up-to-date standard of care and things. So it's called up to date. So that's how, where I get, so it's not available to the regular patient. Mm. Um, what I would say is like most people, what regular person, uh, most people lack is a good BS filter, mm-hmm. right? Like you, it's, you have to be able to, if someone's talking in extremes, meaning, okay, you can only have 30 grams of carbs in your air all day. You know, that's kind of extreme. I'm not against the keto completely, but that's not maintainable. So, um, I think in a weird way, and when you hear health advice, you know, just be cautious, but also, you know, you can piecemeal a little bit and see what fits into your daily routine, right? Um, so whether it be diet, exercise, or those kind of things, um, supplements, I kind of have at my apprehension on because like, their claims come out of their asses sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but a multivitamin a day for everybody is not a bad idea. You know, vitamin D, especially if you have t- tan skin like we do, we're predisposed to lower vitamin D levels. So taking a supplement for vitamin D, not a bad idea. I would say one of the best sources is probably have a doctor you're engaged with too. You know what I'm saying? On this regular doctor that can give you good advice. Like, and just remember, like, you know, like you can shop them out around, like, I mean, in the sense that doctors are kind of coming, becoming commodities in many respects. Right. So check out the doctor, the reviews on the doctor, check on the social media, check on different platforms to see, um, or, or, or review sites to see if that person's engaging and then maybe use that person as a good source of information. You see what I'm saying? Cause it is hard to break down a lot. And like, I've realized like, you know, the average American reads at the, what is it, seventh grade level or something like that. So it's hard to take a graduate level course that I took in med school and learn a residency and dumb it down to that simple English. I try my best. I typically get down to maybe ninth grade. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't, I can't get down to sixth grade. You see what I'm yeah. saying? It's, it's hard. And so, um, but you know, have someone that's engaging there and ask questions. I would say if you have questions, when you go to the doctor's office, write down all your questions on a piece of paper or on your phone or whatever, and give them that, you know, and that's 
probably the best way to get information. Um, and go to reputable websites as well, too. Like if you got heart issues, don't go to, you know, some random guy on YouTube, go to the American Heart Association or American Diabetic Association or something like that and get information there. So I'm tired of WebMD telling me I'm dying. Well, well, the problem is like every, every, as all, most symptoms are pretty yeah. big, right? So feeling tired and fatigued, that could be cancer. It, it could also <laughs> be last night, right? Like, you know, like, like you know. I think it's cancer. I think it's cancer. <laughs> it's cancer. <laughs> cancer. Um, cool. Okay. So unfortunately we're getting to the end of our time here. We want to be respectful every time. I'm sure you're a very busy guy. Yeah. Uh, our traditional final question that we ask all our guests on our podcast is, if you could put any one message on a billboard that would reach billions of people, what message would you put on that billboard and why? Ooh, I would say uh, growth. I would say that growth. I would say always try to grow and improve. And um, I think the biggest problem most people have in their lives is their own inertia and being stuck where they are. So always try to grow. And that, that doesn't have to be a monetary growth, but it has to be uh, learn something new, right? Um, I remember hearing the adage, what is it? Um, most people die when they're 30. They only bury them when they're 70. So, um, you know, uh, it, always try to grow, learn something new, new habits, new books, uh, new people. Um, I think that's, that's the most fulfilling aspect of life is growth. It's not, it's that's the ROI. It's just constantly, you know, it's constantly improving and not necessarily attaining some new level or new, a certain monetary gain but it's constantly growing. Yeah. So. There was a, I can't remember who said it, but there was the, the quote, um, live as if you were to die tomorrow, learn as if you were to live forever. I think that's kind of. Oh yeah. That's actually a pretty good one. I'm going to steal that one. Yeah, man. Sure, for sure. <laughs> I'm just going to quote you. <laughs> <Daniel>. <laughs> I can't take the credit for that. So much like there's been a ton of gen ton. Oh my God. Ton of gems that you dropped on us um, throughout this episode, a lot of wisdom to share. And hopefully this, does remind many of our young listeners to keep health in mind, which I feel like many of us have been foregoing recently, um, especially in light of COVID, gyms have been shut down. Um, yeah. So if with the last couple seconds, is there anything you would like to promote or um, if people would like to reach out to you, where can they do that? Oh yeah, if you could just follow me on social media, it's cool. It's at CostumbudMD, it's on, on here, but that's my thumbnail, but my, my YouTube is Your Kidneys, Your Health. Um, but yeah, just follow me. I, I generally just give out positive content uh, about people I meet, things I do, um, videos and stuff. So if you if you generally follow me and you know follow along there, that'd be kind of cool. Um, but then, huh? We all need more positivity. So positive content. I'm giving or up whatever all. it keeps you yeah. looking twenty in your forties. So yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. If you like the episode, follow us on Spotify and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Our website was built by Face Solutions, logo designed by Charmeni, and music by Wonderly Music. Thank you for listening. Think you got it? Nah, we're on the next iteration. <laughs>